Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Kotz. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are going to become the rock doctors again. We're going to consult with another patient in need of a rock prescription. And later on, Greg and I will review the new albums from John Legend and Parts and Labor. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. is Reckoner from the 2007 Radiohead album In Rainbows. Jim, we've talked about this album a lot, a revolutionary approach to distributing the album on the band's website last year, and there has been a reckoning, a final accounting of how much the band made out of that uh, experiment. As you recall, in October of 2007, it made the record available on its website for any price the fans chose to pay for it. When fans clicked on the price, what came up was, it's up to you. You can pay nothing, you can pay a few bucks, you can pay a few pennies, or you can pay $10, $15, $100. It was the public radio model. You can listen for free, or you can pledge if you think this is of worth. The majority of fans actually downloaded the album for free. But still, those who did pay, paid up in a fairly substantial number. In fact, In Rainbows ended up selling more online than the previous Radiohead album, Hail to the Thief, ended up selling in 2003 when it was released through a major label. Mm. So the experiment paid off handsomely. They ended up selling more than 3 million copies of In Rainbows, including 100,000 box sets that they made available through the website at the U.S. equivalent of $81. Do the math on that one, Jim. $8 million. $8 million alone from the box set, which they kept the vast majority Mm -hmm. of the revenue from that because they didn't have to share it with a middleman. They didn't have to share it with a record company. So the experiment paid off big time for Radiohead with 3 million-plus sales of In Rainbows, one of the biggest commercial successes of the band's career. Why are they announcing this now? Why did they sit on this for a year? Because we kept asking. 
Exactly. And Trent Reznor, to his credit, when he did a similar thing a few months ago, almost immediately came up with the stats where he ended up uh, selling more than a million dollars worth of merchandise through his website when he made his last album available that way. Radiohead, it took a year. And the way they did it was kind of under the radar. They had their publisher speak at a music conference in Iceland last week when they announced some of those statistics. <laughs> That's a bit off the beaten path. So finally, the uh, publicity firm for Radiohead confirmed those numbers in the last couple of days. But it's a pretty astonishing victory for Radiohead in terms of that release. No stars in the black night. Looks like the sky fell down. No sun in the daylight. Looks like it. That's U2, Silver and Gold, and they are about to rake in some of both. We've uh, we've talked a couple times, Greg, in the news segment about these 360 deals that are being struck by the giant concert monopoly Live Nation. U2's deal with Live Nation is a little different than some of the others, like uh, Madonna's. For Madonna, Live Nation has become record company, exclusive touring company, merchandising company. U2 is going to continue to record with its regular record companies, but Live Nation is handling everything else in the business. Its website, its merchandising, and of course, its touring. They've signed a 12-year deal, and now the money has come out. It's a $19 million deal. But the thing that I think is interesting is that it's payable in Live Nation stock. Mm -hmm. Immediately upon the news of this breaking, Live Nation stock fell 39 cents (laughs) on the New York Stock Exchange. The business world would seem to be a little skeptical of these deals. U2 today is one of the biggest touring acts in the world. In 2005 to 2007, on its never-ending Vertigo tour, it raked in $400 million. But when these guys are 15 years older, are they going to still have that impact? Right. Uh, you, you know, and is this a good idea? And, you know, now that they're stockholders of Live Nation, I think we can hold Bono and his bandmates responsible. There are a lot of things Live Nation does that we don't agree with as consumer advocates and as journalists. You know, the ever-increasing ticket prices, U2 has tried to keep ticket prices down. Are they going to be able to do that now? As a force within the company, will they be able to change some of the habits Live Nation has picked up? As Live Nation takes over ticketing from Ticketmaster, is it going to continue with these egregious service fees that make a $35 ticket suddenly cost 55 when you're done? We'll have to see. But in addition to holding the Live Nation executives responsible, I'm now going to come after Bono. <laughs> Bono, man, you're on notice. That's the Flaming Lips helping us with our next news story, Jim. Lala.com, a new website that uh, is yet the latest attempt by the music industry to try to sell music to consumers. Some would say it's a desperate attempt, trying to get people to buy stuff that they can get for free already on the Internet. Mm -hmm. The latest venture is, uh, as reported by my colleague Eric Bendroff at the Chicago Tribune a few days ago, is a lease with an option to buy plan that's being made available by this Lala.com website. It has the backing of all the big major labels, all four of them. It has six million songs from those labels as well as a bunch of indies on it. What it's presenting to consumers is this. 
you can lease a song for 10 cents and basically play it anywhere in the world as long as you have a wireless connection. If you want to do anything more with that song, you have the option to buy it. Pay an additional 70 to 80 cents, which gets you up to the iTunes range of mm. about 99 cents per song. And then you can start downloading it, burning it to a CD, sharing it with a friend. So it's an interesting tiered price structure. But the bigger idea here, Jim, is this whole idea of being able to access your music collection anywhere you want. That From seems, the cloud, as yes, they say. exactly. Yeah. So that seems to be where the music industry is heading. What they're trying to do, like they've been trying to do with everything else, is figuring out a way to monetize it. There's a problem with that. You know, wireless doesn't penetrate everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't always have access to the cloud. Right. Another problem I have is how many times has your email server eaten messages that you needed? Are you sure. really going to trust having your entire record collection in the floating cloud? And finally, why are you going to pay 10 cents even for a song that you can stream for free on the band's MySpace page or on their website exactly. or on any number of internet radio stations or on good old terrestrial radio? I don't understand. Do you guys out there want your music in the cloud? Would you rather release your music than own hard copies? Give us a call at Sound Opinions, 1-888-859-1800, or email us at interact at soundopinions.org. We are always interested in hearing your thoughts. And I said, no, 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 I don't smoke it no more. I'm tired of waking up on the floor. No, thank you, please, it only makes me sneeze. Greg, that, of course, is the immortal Ringo Starr. <laughs> he may have given up smoking it a long time ago, but now he is giving up signing it. Signing autographs, that is. This was an announcement that was made on his website recently. You've got to hear it to believe it. This is a serious message to everybody watching my update right now. Peace and love, peace and love. I want to tell you, please, after the 20th of October, do not send fan mail to any address that you have. Nothing will be signed after the 20th of October. If that has a date on the envelope, it's going to be tossed. I'm warning you with peace and love, but I have too much to do. So no more fan mail. Thank you, thank you. And no objects to be signed. Nothing. Uh, anyway, peace and love, peace and love. Now, you know, Craig, I love Ringo Starr. I have defended <laughs> Ringo Starr many times on this show. I will truck no criticism of his drumming. The man was a great, great drummer. Songwriter, not so much. The thing that's killing me, though, is, you know, where he's telling us he's too busy to ever say, <laughs> what is Ringo doing? He's sitting around. He's counting his money. Occasionally, he puts out a really bad solo album, and then he goes on a road with a bunch of his drinking buddies, you know, and yeah. he plays really bad concerts. I was like, man, are, really? You're too busy. <laughs> I have no idea what Ringo's smoking. Well, I have an idea of what he's smoking. But you know what? All you fans out there who want to send your, your fan mail to Ringo, send it to us. Send it to Sound Opinions. <laughs> we'll take Ringo's fan I'll mail. I'll sign his name. I'll read it. I I'll sign care. his name. Some say it's a sign of weakness for a man to Then we, I'd rather Baby, I need your 
You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that is Baby, I Need Your Loving, uh, one of the first top ten hits from one of the great groups of the Motown label from the uh, 60s and 70s. And the reason we're playing it is to mark the death of the lead singer of the Four Tops, Levi Stubbs, at the age of 72. The group formed in 1953 while they were still in high school in Detroit, Jim. And I think one of the great things about this group was the incredible amount of loyalty that they had to each other. Yeah. Uh, Stayed together for 44 years, basically the same four guys who formed that group. And Levi Stubbs, even though he was the standout voice in that group, the lead singer, one of the most recognized voices in the Motown catalog, never split apart from his friends and created a solo career or created a name that was bigger than the Four Tops. A lot of people know that the Four Tops had these major, major hits. They had 25 top 40 singles. They sold tens of millions of records. But a lot of people don't really know who Levi Stubbs was. When you say Levi Stubbs to most people, they go, who? Four Tops, they'll recognize. And this stood in contrast to a lot of the Motown groups where you had Diana Ross and the Supremes, Mm -hmm. Martha and the Vandellas, Gladys Knight and the Pips. You had Eddie Kendricks splitting off from the Temptations and having a solo career. So Stubbs is an incredibly loyal, understated man with a tremendous voice. And I think one of the great singers in that 60s and 70s soul glory days. Right up there with Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, Ray Charles. I think one of the absolutely greatest singers of all time. The ability to convey emotion, you know, and to do it in the, in this, uh, you know, very dramatic way, but without ever seeming melodramatic or as if right. he was acting, you know, I mean, that was what always struck me about his voice. It was a difficult trick. And I think also uh, Motown sort of prided it itself on being a little bit more sophisticated than, than its uh, partner in the South, the, uh, the Stax Volt label, right. which was much more about grit. But Levi even though he wore the bow tie on stage, was all about that gritty, hard-on-sleeve, passionate singing style that you heard more in those Southern Soul records. In fact, he popped right out of that bow tie once when he was singing uh, on the Ed Sullivan (laughs) Show. I mean, you literally saw him, you know, just pop right out of that bow tie. It was an amazing moment. And I think when you talk about great runs of classic songs, the run that uh, Levi and the uh, Four Tops had in the mid-60s with three great songs rivals anything that was done in that era. I think the run of Reach Out, I'll Be There, followed by Standing in the Shadows of Love, followed by Bernadette, all done within a six-month period. Those are three amazing songs, one on top of the other, that to me illustrate the essence of what Levi Stubbs was about. And I want to point in particular to the song Bernadette, which I, to my mind, is one of the greatest songs ever written, mainly because of Levi Stubbs' performance. Incredibly nuanced stuff, dramatic stuff. Holland, Dozier Holland uh, were at the height of their powers as a songwriting and production team. But Levi takes this dramatic song about pining for this woman and being in this paranoid atmosphere where he feels... This woman that he loves, the title character, Bernadette, is being pursued by all these men, and he's down yeah. on his knees saying, don't leave me, I need you more than the rest of these guys. Yeah. You mean more to me than anything else. And she's like the siren on the rocks calling to these guys and then dashing their Well, hearts. and that climax in the last 30 or 40 seconds, which just takes it to a whole other level, it's amazing stuff. I think the, the most amazing moment for me in the entire Motown catalog is that moment at the end where the song stops completely 
and then Levi just like rises from the ground yet yeah, for one yeah. final cry, <laughs> Bernadette, you know, it's it's chilling and it's an amazing moment and it shows you how emotionally invested Stubbs was in these songs that Holland Dozier Holland wrote for him. So here it is, one of the great songs of all time, but one of the great soul singers of all time, Levi Stubbs of the Four Tops with Bernadette on Sound Opinions. Bernadette by the four tops, Levi Stubbs, the leader of that group, dead at 72. Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, Greg and I are going to take our rock doctor's coats on and prescribe a dose of new music for one of our listeners. And later on, we'll review new albums from John Legend and Parts and Labor. Thank you. 
Back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Periodically on this show, Jim and I like to break out the white lab coats and the stethoscopes and and listen to what a patient has to say about their rock music listening needs. Uh, something is lacking in their lives, and that's why we're here, Jim. We're here to help. We're going to cure their ills. Our patient this week, Greg, is Brendan from Los Angeles. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Hey, Jim and Greg. How are you? Brendan, before we uh, offer a diagnosis, please describe for us your, your problem. Uh, well, you know, my problem is, like, most of the music that I, I come across these days, I don't really like. Like, like the only music I'm really exposed to is, like, mainstream music. And I just feel like, because I'm busy with work, I don't get really a chance to kind of follow underground music as much as I, you know, like to. I go on the Internet and all that, but I never really seem to find anything that I like. Even though you're in Los Angeles, which has a, you know, a killer, one of the, the best uh, music-oriented public radio stations in the country, KCRW, you don't get it from, from radio, from TV, from anywhere? No, I don't. I mean, I'm sure there's bands out there that I would like, but I don't hear it on, like, you know, on K-Rock or any of the radio stations out here because it's all just, just not very interesting or exciting. I need, like, something that kind of get my kind of juices going. And, I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm older or... Well, you're you're only in your mid thirties. You're not that. You're not you're not over the hill or anything like that. So, give give us an example of where you were at when you when you last loved music. When I first started kind of getting into music, it was kind of I was like Van Halen and groups in the eighties, things like that. And then I kind of got into kind of like classic rock, which was like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. And then in the nineties, it was kind of I was big into like you know Radiohead, Nirvana, and it just you know all the bands that I used to like like. Radiohead, I just feel that they're really not kind of giving me what I what I need. It's really kind of become mellow, and uh, kind of what I always like is bands that can really rock but have like a good sense of melody. They kind of combine that well. So right now, if we were to look in your CD collection or, say, in the CD player in your car, what CDs would we find in there? These are the bands I, I probably listen to the most. Is like Wilco, Nirvana, maybe Hank Williams, Bands like that. You mentioned Weezer as being one of the bands. We're not talking about 2003 or 2008 Weezer. We're talking about like the Blue Album. Yeah, I, ha- I hate I hate New Weezer. It's it's absolutely disgusting what they've become. I mean, the Blue <laughs> Album and the they've just become like just the worst band ever. Honestly, uh, I can't uh, believe how bad they've become. But um, so Weezer, circa '94. Yeah. Uh, it was a great band, and you've got that CD in your collection, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the Blue Album I listen to at least probably once a month. Mm-hmm.
Now, telling Robin that... Uh, you, you mean our producer, Robin Lynn. Yeah. When I knew I really, really needed help was when I... Uh, I was, you know, one day just on YouTube just trying to find something interesting to listen to, and I, I kind of like blacked out, or I, I you know, I realized eventually <laughs> that I was, I had like Don Henley on. And oh I don't even like man! Him. Oh man! So I feel like um, right there, I kind of knew that I needed, really needed help. We're going to have to have words with Nurse Robin, because at that point, she should have put this guy right in the emergency room. No kidding. Don Henley, and you're listening. Oh, my God. Henley. No wonder sting, too. I had a Sting, sting. video. Up. It was oh. just, I just was, I don't know who I am anymore. I didn't tell him. <laughs> you this, know, I think we got to him just in time, Dr. Durigata. It's Thank urgent. God this is urgent prescription. We have to drop everything. <laughs> All right, but it sounds like basically you stop listening in the 90s, and you want something that's hard but melodic. Is that right? Is exactly. that summing it up? All right, all right. Well, I think I have a prescription, Greg, but why don't you go first, Dr. Cott? Dr. DeRigatis, this, this case of 90s-itis that we're seeing here is, is uh, pretty commonplace for people of uh, Brendan's age bracket. I would say, you know, the mid-30s, early 40s generation, they grew up on this alternative rock of the early 90s, and they're, and they're yearning for a return of that sound in, in some contemporary bands. Well, it was absolutely an exciting time, and then all of a sudden you get Limp Biscuit at the one extreme and Britney Spears at the other, and that yeah. was, you know, talk about driving you off the... Uh... No kidding. No wonder you stopped <laughs> listening to music, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think there's a contemporary band now, and I consulted with some of our producers on the show who also have degrees in, in music medicine, and... The one band that we hit on that we thought as a contemporary band that harkens back to that era and yet brings something fresh to the equation is Secret Machines. It's a trio originally out of Texas and uh, now based in New York, and uh, they made two extraordinary studio records, and I'm going to recommend the second one. It's called Ten Silver Drops. Okay. And what it does is it takes some of those sounds from that era and blends them with the space rock sound, but yet at the same time you've got real songs underneath it all. So someone who could, for example, uh, enjoy late-period Beatles as you do, or Led Zeppelin, for example, could relate to what this band is doing, and yet also hear elements of bands like, uh, you know, say, maybe the Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, some elements of those early 90s stalwarts that you love so much in their music. So I'm going to give you the secret machines, 10 silver drops, and see how that works as, as medicine for you. Well, cool. I think that's a good suggestion, Dr. Cott, especially that Bonham-esque drum sound that Secret Machines do so well. You know, when it comes to rock propulsion, but with a melodic underpinning, I think Wolf Parade is uh, one of the recent bands that's been doing that the best. Strong first album came out on Sub Pop Records. They have a new album that just came out. We haven't reviewed it yet here on the show. Gives us a good excuse to talk about it, prescribing it for Brendan. Mount Zoomer is the name of the record, named after uh, the drummer's uh, studio in Montreal, which is where the band is from. Midway through the alternative era, after it sort of, you know, had its introduction by your Jane's Addictions and bands like that, you know, it, it, there just became an alternative sound. And it's hard now in retrospect to say what that was. I think Wolf Parade is doing something similar. It's just hard to say why this band is so great. You know, real straightforward stuff never fails to get my head bopping. But I've had a hard time actually intellectualizing why I like it so well, much. Well, they got two songwriters in that band too, right? I think yeah. that's one of the real strengths of that band is that they've got a good dose of great songs. And it reminds me of some of the great songwriting combinations, you know, the Grant Hart-Bob Mould thing going on, yeah. the yin and the yang kind of approach to the songwriting. And that, that really is a, a real strength of that band. What we've got here, Brendan, 
is two bands that bring that heaviness that you like and that rock mode, but still have great songs underneath. So hopefully... Oh, and the other thing he indicated is he'd yeah. like to see them live. And both bands, as strong as they are on record, are even better live. Yeah. You know, these are both cutting-edge current bands that you could get into and that might make you feel connected once again to, you know, the new millennium. Okay. So uh, will you listen, uh, do your homework, and and uh, get back to us on, on whether the prescriptions work? Great. Thanks, Jim McGrath. You bet. Take care. All right, Brendan, welcome back to Sound Opinions. Uh, You've had a week to mull over your prescription. Uh, How are things going with you? Uh, Thank you very much, Greg. I feel much better. I I have less anxiety. Um, (laughs) And uh, overall, I think the prescriptions have have been great. It's a little bit different. The effects have been a little bit different than what I thought they would be. I thought Jim's selection would be much more of a rocking record, but it was good, though. It, It kind of had what I was looking for, which was melody and good rock. Language City is a battle place. We all know. Well, I was floating space. We all know. We were tired. So let me remind people, uh, I recommended Wolf Parades at Mount Zoomer. I mean, you know, we were trying to give you something that was the modern uh, analog to to the alternative rock that you loved and you kind of last captured your imagination. Yeah, it was definitely kind of what I'm looking for. You know, it's both records, I feel like, are the kind of records that kind of grow on me. Like the more more I listen to them, the more I get out of them, the more I enjoy them. What about Dr. Cott's recommendation? That was uh, Secret Machine's Ten Silver Drops. I, I like that as well. It kind of, um, I don't know if this is a good um, comparison. It kind of reminded me a bit of spiritualized, but maybe a little bit more not as kind of like spacey kind of thing. And I really, really enjoyed it. really super familiar with either one of these bands before we prescribed them to you, right? So did anything surprise you about them, Brendan? I kind of, I, they were kind of a little bit, um, I don't know, mellower is a, a good description of them, but I thought that they would be kind of a little bit more rockish. I mean, they, it's definitely like rock, but you know what I mean? It's not like kind of hard rock, which, which is like the Smashing Pumpkins or, you know, stuff like that, which I thought that maybe it might be more on. But I actually like that. I, I don't really want somebody screaming in my ears these days. I just want something that's like interesting to listen to, and, and I feel both these records kind of fit that bill. Do you have a favorite track from uh, each record, Brendan? I would say probably um, I like um, the first track off 10 Silver Drops. Waking up all the joy
And, uh, and then probably um, from uh, Mount Zoomer, I probably like, you know, maybe the first track, Soldier's Grin. Uh, uh-huh. Or actually, Banger Drum, I think, was the one that really kind of, kind of grabbed my attention and that I've, I've really liked. Keep you away. Don't be surprised. What was it about that track that you liked? I don't know. It just kind of seemed very immediate. Kind of it, it kind of rocked a little bit more than the other tracks. I like, you know, I kind of like the guy's voice. The guy's got a pretty, pretty good voice. So there are bands. Now that you've uh, discovered these two bands, you can say you know, that there are bands out there who are combining uh, the rock that you love from the from the early '90s and that period with 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 strong melodies. Yeah, definitely. And it was kind of hard to pick between the two, which I enjoyed more. But but definitely both are um, kind of have some differences, which I really appreciate, and and I can kind of. You know, listen to them endlessly. That'd be a mistake. Now we weren't just—we don't want you to just take these two. You know, we're, we're trying to, to teach you like a way to, to healthy eating. You know what I mean? Like if we said you should eat more apples and oranges, we don't mean you should only eat apples and oranges. So uh, it's it's not okay. I've listened to both of them twenty-seven times. No, that's good. That's a good start. But you know, there's, there's a world of records out there. I mean, maybe next month you go out and get another one. You know, you know at, what I mean? at a bar they would call that overserved. At you know, the doctor's office is over. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to consume too much of the prescription all at once. You know, savor it over a period of time. But, you know, we're we're glad that the uh, the prescription worked. I think an ongoing prescription, uh, Brendan. Which, you know, if you listen to the show, we talk about a lot of music here. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> a good way to keep current, and maybe you'll find another one. Well, I've always actually found, um, like, all the bands I've really liked over the years, I've always kind of discovered them through through sound opinions. Oh, well, we're touched. We're touched. We won't get sued for malpractice. That's always a good thing. <laughs> and we have another happy patient. Thank you for, for playing along with the Rock Doctors uh, here, Brendan. Well, thanks for uh, saving my life, Jim and Greg. I really appreciate it. <laughs> If you want to make an appointment with the Rock Doctors or comment on anything in the show, give our hotline a call at 888-859-1800 or send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org. We're going to be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with some new album reviews and Jim's Desert Island jukebox pick. Working your back like it's going out of style. 
Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is John Legend with a song called Green Light from his new album, Evolver. Greg, first time I saw John Legend, he had yet to release his debut album. He was playing piano, backing up a brash young rapper who was doing his first headlining show in Chicago. It was Kanye West. Right. They have been a mutual admiration society and champions of each other ever since. At first, it seemed like Kanye was going to be the one who was going to take over the world, and and he did. You know, he took over the hip-hop world with his first album. But shortly thereafter, in 2004, Legend released Get Lifted, his debut album. He has since gone on to follow it up and sell a total of three million albums, garner an armful of Grammys, do Gap ads. He's everywhere. Mm-hmm. He has become, you know, the the face of R&B, at least in one branch of it. When he emerged, I really thought that this, you know, now 29-year-old University of Pennsylvania grad was going to do to the R&B world what Kanye was doing to hip-hop. You know, hip-hop had been dominated by gangsters for so long. Kanye comes out with a very bold new sound and a new new look, a new approach, a new theme lyrically. I'm singing about what it's like to be black middle class. Uh, Legend seemed to be doing the same thing in an R&B world that was dominated by R. Kelly and Usher and this kind of vague thug life and sexual braggadocio. He was smarter, he was more sensitive, he was deeper, and he was musically more ambitious. Certainly drawing from the 60s soul and R&B heyday and bringing it somewhere new and modern. Now comes album number three. I'm not going to tip my hand about what I think about this record. I do want to read a quote from Billboard. (laughs) John was talking to the magazine, The Industry Trade. He said he bristled when they asked if he was moving toward adult contemporary. He said, I hate that term. That's likening my music to the Kenny G's of the world. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, John, where are you at? Let's hear a track from the new album Evolver. It's called It's Over by John Legend on Sound Opinions. I don't want to be what you want me to be. So when I call, you just yelling at me. I'm sorry, it's my fault. It's over. I keep calling I guess I'm just used to getting my way I'm spoiled I don't want to be what you don't want to be So when I call you just yelling at me I'm sorry Sorry, it's my fault. Hey, 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 
It's over from the new John Legend album, Evolver, his third. Optimistic title for this record, Jim. Evolver implies growth, evolution. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm hearing is more of the same, and maybe a little less. A little less bold, a little more beige. If oh, you know, I had to put man. a color scheme on this thing. Yeah. No bold primary colors, just a lukewarm shade of gray. I think what's happening with Legend is that as he's gained a certain amount of fame and sold a certain number of records... He is now evolving a sound that he thinks is going to appeal to commercial mainstream radio. I think with that first record, he established a nice bridge between neo-soul and R&B and hip-hop, using some hip-hop loops to undergird these nice melodies that he was writing. On the last record, in 2006, he came up with an extraordinary song, Show Me, that showed some real risk-taking on his part. Although the rest of the album wasn't quite as good. It wasn't quite as good, but that song pointed the way toward a future where I I thought this guy was going to really develop into one of the more daring songwriters of our time. But now what I hear him turning into is this generation's baby face. Uh, No, 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 no. Appealing to the mainstream in a way that really kind of cuts away from his strengths and and that boldness and making sort of these lightweight melodies that are very pleasant and very subtle, but almost to a fault, to the I, point where it just all blends together and it's, it just doesn't make much of an you're, impression. You're being too kind. I hate this album. I despise <laughs> this album. This ranks as one of the biggest betrayals of seriously deep talent. Betrayal? That wow. I've heard. Yeah, no, I, look, he has sold out, Craig. I mean, he's saying, I don't want to be categorized as Kenny G. You're saying it sounds like Babyface. No way. You know what this is? <laughs> this is new millennial Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry. Be happy. Yeah. It's dreadful. It's schmaltz. It is Hallmark card banality. There is no soul. There is no life. There is no fire. It's an entire mid-tempo record. The, the lyrics are horrible. His melodies are horrible. And, and suddenly he's the king of melodramatic <laughs> over-emoting. Well, this was an artist I seriously, seriously believed in. You know, aside from D'Angelo setting the pace for where R&B should go mm. in the new era, he's disappeared ever since Voodoo. I thought Legend was a serious contender, and now all of a sudden he's easy listening Muzak on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale. This is a trash it for me for sure. There's a couple of tracks I really hate on here, but maybe a couple of tracks that I'd burn. So I'm going to say I burn it. Nowhere's Nigh from the third Parts and Labor record called Receivers. Parts and Labor, a band that has been a guest on this show in the past. Uh, two excellent albums in 2006, uh, Stay Afraid, and then Map Maker in 2007. A uh, Brooklyn band basically constituted around two veterans of the underground scene, B.J. Warshaw and Dan Friel. Originally a trio, now reconstituted as a quartet for this record, uh, a lineup change that has slightly changed the sound. We're going to tell you how that sound was changed, but let's just say that those first two records were 
amazing examples of noise rock power trio independent music in the 21st century. Uh, I can't think of two better examples of that in recent years than those two records. And as I said, the sound has shifted a bit. Let's hear how it goes with uh, Satellites, a track from the new parts and labor record, Receivers, on Sound Opinions. Satellites from the new Parts and Labor record receivers. Greg, I know you are a huge fan of these guys. So am I, but never more so than with this third album. I think they have done something really exciting here, a shift toward a lot more melody amid the noise rock. This is an incredibly tuneful album. It reminds me of like the shift that Wire made from from its second album into 154. You know, suddenly it it went from black and white to Technicolor. You know, this is an amazingly tuneful record, very inventive. Uh, suddenly they're in the realm of of you know your your Pear Ubus and your Buzzcocks and your Wires, those wonderful art punk bands that gave you indelible pop songs at the same time they were giving you bizarre sonic invention. I got to say this is a buy it record on our scale. Well, I uh, agree with you, Jim. This is the record that should have been called Evolver. Here is a band that is evolving and growing and expanding its sound. Those first two records were kind of twins. This one is a new direction for them. I think the lineup change had something to do with that. The drumming is less chaotic. It's more groovy, more about a space rock trance-like groove here. And as you said, the melodies have been pulled to the forefront. The noise is more on the margins, but it's still a part of that sound. And those anthemic melodies are just amazing. They they build and build and build that first track uh, that we just played, Satellites. 
that is like eight minutes of bliss as far as I'm concerned. I want to put that on, and I want it never, yeah. never to stop. By the time uh, it, it stops, I'm going 120 miles an hour. You get the guitars that sound like bagpipes. You get the <laughs> guitars that sound like you know weird African wind instruments. I mean, it's amazing. So wake up, people. Parts and Labor is one of the best bands working today. Yes. Go out and get receivers. Buy it twice. Buy it three times, three months. <laughs> I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as we can on Sound Opinions, we like to pay a trip to the desert island and plug a quarter into the desert island jukebox. And this week, it is Jim's turn. Thank you, Greg. You're going to have to indulge me on this one. I don't think I have played Wire on the show uh, since we did our summer songs and I did Sand in My Joints Mm -hmm. from their second album, Chairs Missing. I don't care. I'm going to play Wire again because I am high on Wire. They just finished up their two-week tour of the U.S. in support of their recent album, Object 47. came out in the summer. And man, oh man, I've been a fan of this band of the most devoted sort for 25 years. And, And I went and saw them Saturday night and once again... They were better than I'd ever seen them. And that's encouraging, you know, when you have a group that emerged in the mid-70s as part of the initial punk explosion. And I think the thing that is so great is that unlike all of their peers and arguably unlike the vast majority of all the other great bands in the history of rock and roll, they seem to see nostalgia as the curse of death, the enemy of great art and life itself. (laughs) And they refuse to play their older material except on their terms. They are always about moving forward. The new material on Object 47 is great. They did do some of the older material. They completely claimed it, remade it, invented it again and made it their own and and made it sound as if it was written yesterday. And and that's always encouraging to see a band that has such a weight of history, you know, treat their catalog in that way. They played this song, and it was a drop-dead moment. It was uh, made a hit just a couple of years ago, 2002, by Fisher Spooner, that Electro Clash band, and Beck has been playing it at every stop on his current tour. You said that the uh, Bernadette uh, by the Four Tops is a perfect pop song. Uh, I have to say that that my choice, if you ask me to choose one song that was a perfect pop song in all the history of rock and roll, I would seriously consider the 15th. It's a song from the third Wire album. Pink Flag was 77, Chairs Missing was 78. In 1980, they made 154, and these three albums were radically different from each other and all showed an incredible amount of growth that other bands don't show in 20 years. This was an incredible piece of just pure pop bliss. What is it about? I have no idea. It's this obscure elliptical tune that in in Wire's beat poetic style, you know, creates a mood without ever telling you what it's really about. I, I think it's about some machine that has sprung back to life and is about to threaten the existence of humanity. Or maybe not. But there's a wonderful vibe that comes from the song, and the words kind of add to it, and the melody and the synthesizer. It's just a perfect song. Period. The Wire, the 15th on Sound Opinions. Face to it, 
Great choice, Jim. The 15th is Jim DeRogatis' Desert Island Jukebox pick this week from the great band Wire. Still out there doing it, folks. Next week, speaking of going out there and doing it at a very high level for a very long time, the great Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds are going to be our guests on Sound Opinions. Yes, just in time for Halloween. Scariest band we've ever had on Sound Opinions. We have some thank yous to say, Greg. As always, Sound Opinions was produced by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, and our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Southside Malatia. He still signs autographs. All you have to do is write him some fan mail. <laughs> On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hello, guys. My name is Tony Vega. I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois. I just listened to your podcast, and uh, I was intrigued by the earworm segment. I, and two myself, have had an issue with earworms of late. It became so severe that during the summer, I was... uh, Either having a little Wayne song in my head, much like Jim. A millionaire, I'm a young money millionaire, tougher than Nigerian hair. My criteria compared to your career just isn't fair. I'm a venereal disease, like a menstrual. Or I'd had a Vampire Weekend song in my head. This feels so unnatural, Peter Gabriel too. Feels so unnatural, Peter Gabriel. got to the point that I was 
staying up all night, and I couldn't even um, function sometimes the next day at work because I would have these uh, 30 seconds of a song repeating over and over and over again, and um, I couldn't even figure out a way to solve it. Um, I have the opportunity to listen to music a lot at work, so I actually had to cut down how much music I listened to, so I didn't become so obsessed with the song. That's my sob story. Thanks, guys. Great show. Josh from Manhattan. Um, this message is specifically for Jim DeRogatis. You know, I was listening to your podcast this week, and that ACDC song was playing, and you guys were about to start your review, and I knew even before you opened your mouth, I knew right away, I said to myself, last week he railed on Oasis for sounding exactly the same on every single album. And this week, he goes, oh, but there's an exception, ACDC. Greg, I only made the argument last week on the show when we were talking about Oasis that when a band is so devoted to a formula, I just don't see the point after a while of buying a new album when it's exactly like the last one. There are two exceptions, I think, really high on the list, the Ramones and ACDC. See, the thing about being a critic, any kind of a critic, is that you have to be able to... Look at something outside of what your personal likes and dislikes are. And just because your personal likes include ACDC and don't include Oasis doesn't mean that the Oasis album is bad and the ACDC album is good. I've listened to both, and I don't like either one of them. (laughs) They're both crap. Last week or two weeks ago was Yom Kippur, and I was going to call and I was going to forgive you for all the terrible reviews that uh, that you've given over the year. But I don't know. Maybe I'm going to have to wait for the high holidays next year. See you guys later. Hey, gentlemen. This is Jeff from San Francisco. Long-time listener, first-time caller calling to say, I'm afraid you are drinking the Kool-Aid about the new Dylan release. Broken nights, broken days, broken leaves, unbroken trees, broken treaties, broken vows, broken hands, unbroken plows, ain't no use running, honey, ain't no use joking, nothing's working, everything broken. I am a Dylan fanatic myself own all the records, own hundreds of hours of bootlegs, and uh, as much as I would love to agree with you, the new bootleg series uh, is loaded, 27 tracks, ridiculous $150 three-disc version blows it even further. I think if they had made it uh, a single-disc alternate versions release, you could call it a buy-it, but it's a cherry-pick situation. A little uh, correction there for you guys. Great show. Listen every week. uh, Take care. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.